0: Isn't that a beautiful hymn? That's one of my favorite hymns of all time. Julia is here at the back to uh, greet your children and give them the Bible bags. All the rest of us, let's turn to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Next week as we uh, go back to the Old Testament, we'll be studying as I'm doing kind of a Luke Old Testament uh, fall for all of us. We're going to start in verse 27 through 38. The Sadducees' riddle is what this whole section covers. One of the concepts that has been very helpful in in the Christian life, and in fact it's actually helpful in all of life, is something that we now call a category error. It was, of course, uh, known but not called that until 1949 when Gilbert Ryle, Introduced it into our discussions to understand psychology and the mind and the body and how they all interact and how we make different errors in that process. But to understand that there are different categories and that you have to speak within the same category to have accurate understanding, let me give you a couple of examples. We could say, for example, that most Americans believe in God. Now, that would be a category-appropriate statement, Because we would look for evidence, and we would look for testimonies and witnesses, and we could either prove or disprove the claim that most Americans believe in God. But if we were to say that most bananas believe in God, that would be a category error. Because bananas don't have the ability to believe or to disbelieve. And to look for proof that bananas believe in God or don't believe in God would, of course, be impossible. All you would get would be an error message in that kind of effort and that kind of of, uh, journey. Now, I bring that up because the discussion today that Jesus has with the Sadducees is what we would now call a category error. Not in the same way as obvious as that of the banana who believes or does not believe in God, but it's still a category error. The category is this. In the law of Moses, the continuation of a person's biological lineage is called a levirate marriage. The purpose is very simple, and it's very clear. If a brother dies without a son to carry on his name, his lineage, then the brother of that man marries the widow, and the first son of their union then carries on the dead brother's name and becomes the dead brother's lineage. Now, scholars talk about how that uh, was implied in Genesis, taught in Deuteronomy. In the book of Ruth, it's kind of obeyed, but not really, as it becomes less and less expected within the Israelite nation. And so it falls within the category of a promise of God to a person that that he and all of his descendants will have a place in the kingdom that God is establishing. And in this uh, part of that promise... It's have a place in the land of Israel. They will have property within the land, and the lineage that goes from the Father down would be given to them. But now the Sadducees want to use that category to talk about heaven, because the Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees and unlike Jesus, do not believe in life after death. The joke that's always told is that's why they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in that. But to prove their point, they create a riddle. Uh, It's a riddle that they think will stump anyone and will certainly stump this country rabbi who came from Galilee to the big city and does not have all the sophistication that they have. And so they want to stop Jesus from teaching about life after death, the resurrection. And so they say to Jesus, okay, What about this? What about a widow who was married to seven brothers because none of those brothers could uh, sire a son? And they all died without having any children. Whose wife will she be in heaven? Now, the answer that Jesus gives is that they're making a category error. He says to them, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. Now, that's an appropriate category for this question of biological heritage. The people of this biological, physical, temporal age concern ourselves with marriage and with children and with descendants and with inheritance. It's very much a part of our category, our experience, our understanding of life. But he continues on, and he explains that in the age to come, we're talking about a different category. We're no longer talking about biological offspring and laws of biological inheritance. We're talking about people who are resurrected from the dead. The category of biological offspring with marriage is over. A new category has begun. Those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, Jesus says. And then to further stress the point that the biological questions of that category are an error when we bring it over into heaven, Jesus says, and they can no longer die. It's not about biology any longer. All of that former thing has passed away. They're like the angels. They are God's children, Jesus says, since they are children of the resurrection. Now, this truth uh, that we often bring our categories of this biological, physical, temporal world and all the ways we think and all the ways we experience time and life and death and everything no longer fits after this life, and that this life is, in fact, just kindergarten preparing us for the real existence of which you and I are destined and that creates us as human beings, is what is most often misunderstood when we get into theology and we get into Christian life. Even in understanding the scriptures themselves, we often misunderstand that all of this and all of this is just preparation. We're sitting in kindergarten. In a moment, we're going to graduate. That graduation is going to take us to a place that's so far beyond anything that we can imagine that we don't even have the language, let alone the mental, mental constructs, the categories, the structures, to think about what it is going to be like. We can only imagine, and we can only imagine it in a limited uh, way. And so the thing that Jesus is teaching us is that we need to recognize that these things we are wondering about can oftentimes be errors if we take this world and impose it upon the world to come so let's look at how he says that then in luke chapter 20 and we're going to start with the 27th verse and we're only going to go through the 38th luke is writing he says some of the sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to jesus with a question teacher they said Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to take part of the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection." But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now keep that open before you as we study the word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to live amongst us, to talk in our categories, to help us understand, to then lift us to broader and larger reality. Even for us living 2,000 years after these words were spoken, it's difficult sometimes. Many people in our world struggle. They think the biological is all there is, and they've given their whole lives to their bodies. We would ask that you would allow us to express and experience the hope that we have in you that this 70-some years is not the point of all of this. And so be with each of us in whatever ways our own categories need to be uh, simplified or corrected wherever error messages we're getting and allow each of us to, to grow in our relationship with you. All to your glory and to your praise. Amen. One of the things I love about this story of the Sadducees is that they thought they had Jesus. They thought they had an an impossible riddle. They were going to ridicule him, and they were going to uh, show him that his belief was naive and that he was not informed. He did not understand. As the ruling class, the Sadducees were very wealthy. They were very powerful. They were the power elite of their day. And so they looked down on the Pharisees, and they looked down on this country Rabbi Jesus for their beliefs in the resurrection. They saw such a belief as a pie-in-the-sky kind of belief, a a naive optimism that was not realistic about the experiences of real life, as an opiate for the masses, something that would simply keep everybody in line. And in their superiority, they believed that they had won the game of life, They didn't believe there was anything beyond life, and so it's how many chips do you get and how much power do you get, how much pleasure do you have, and then you're the winner of it. They're the ruling class, the wealthy, the powerful, the privileged. Everyone, they would think, would want to be like them. So they resented the hope that the resurrection gave the masses. They resented Jesus for spreading that hope for it undermined their status and their place within the world. This, of course, is something our artists and our filmmakers often uh, display when they're talking about the elite and their power and how they resent others. We saw it closely and clearly in the uh, Hunger Games, Uh, the, the new ones coming out soon, so I thought I'd take you back and remind you the theme that's happening where President Snow is controlling his citizens. There's been these districts that rebelled long ago against the, the government, and so they have over all these years been punished by the Hunger Games, in which they have warriors that fight to the death, and if they win, then their district gets food, and their hunger is, uh, is assaged. In, in this clip, you can almost see the president of the Hunger Games as being the chief priest the Sadducee, in charge of all the land. And you can see his aid there as being a young Sadducee who's being sent to Jesus, sent to to bring him in line, to, to ridicule him of his belief and to contain the hope that Jesus is spreading because of the belief in the resurrection. Um, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. The spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So contain it. Hope. It's the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective, a lot of hope is dangerous. Spark is fine as long as it's contained. So contain it. But what if the hope is based on a stronger, truer reality that cannot be contained by the powers of this world. What if Jesus is right and this world is in fact only the beginning of a life that will forever be experienced by these eternal creatures created in the image of God? What if biology itself is the temporary and death itself has died? What if the Sadducees and all the oppressors like them and all the nations throughout the world are truly impotent and that is what scares them? What if only faith, hope, and love remain forever? Now like all human beings who have minds and hearts given by God to be capable of having belief or not belief different from the bananas on our planet, it is not enough for us for, to, for us to say that we have hope in eternal life without giving some evidence of that hope. A few weeks ago, I gave us a whole series of evidences that we can have and use, depending on the different categories of people that we're talking to, that there is, in fact, life beyond life. But the greatest evidence of life beyond life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. The empty tomb. If they could have provided the and produced the body, believe me, they would have. The multiple post-resurrection appearances, up to 500 at one time. The continuing experience of knowing Jesus Christ down through the centuries, up to your life and to mine. The growth and hope that Christians experience as they walk through the life of faith where faith and hope and love remain and they grow. In my own life, I have experienced far more hope and far more faith now in this age of my life than I did back when I was even in my seminary years and asking all the questions of doubt because I had not yet walked with people who experienced God and experienced this unbelievable care such that even when we have the most atrocious things happen, God walks with us through that. And it provides for us something that's so greater than this world. And this world cannot contain it. This hope that we are told to express and to share is something that profoundly makes us human. It's what, in fact, gives us life and gives it beyond. But not everyone believes in that hope. Not everyone has hope. Despair and depression have become epidemic in our day. If you're acquainted at all with the counseling ministries and the the world of counseling psychology, depression has become so epidemic and, and nobody really understands it because I think what we're doing is we're making a category error. Depression and despair, depression being the physical expression and despair being the spiritual expression of this loss of hope And if we only treat the body with the chemicals and we do not treat the spirit, we will not deal with this great hopelessness. And if we only treat the spirit without treating the body, we will not have the physical ability to express the spiritual experience. And so together, those must be blended together if we're going to to, uh, find a way. But if people misunderstand and they don't know how to have spiritual hope how do we help them in that understanding? Well, that's where Jesus takes us this next. This, this experience is just an amazing moment of illustrating for us how to live our lives in a world that is so often beyond hope and is even trying to contain whatever hope uh, there is amongst us. And so Jesus gives us a second part of the lesson. You see, the Sadducees did not believe there would be a resurrection because they only believed that the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, are inspired. They believe that the law, the the law of Moses, the books of Moses, but not the prophets, and for us as Christians, everything else that we call the Old Testament, were not inspired. And so since they thought the first five books of the Bible do not directly teach that there is life after death, and there is not life after death, because their authority their category does not allow it. So when the prophets speak like Isaiah and you can find it all the way through the prophets in different ones in different ways but as the prophets who tell us clearly as Isaiah does that God swallows up death forever and he will wipe away every tear from all faces and that they are we are going to live in this wonderful eternal realm. They put that in the uninspired category, the it's not reliable category. We don't know that for sure, and it's not valid. So what Jesus does, and this is extremely helpful for us, is that he takes that their own category and opens their eyes to the reality that those who live before us are not dead. They are alive. And he takes them back to the book of Moses, the second book of the books of of the law, of the five first books, a book their category says is inspired, and he reminds them of what is described there at the moment when Moses meets God at the burning bush. In the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now that lesson is extremely pa- extremely helpful for you and for me. One of the things that is so important if we are going to talk to a world that does not accept the categories that we use to establish what is true then we need to go to their categories and express within their ability to understand and to grasp this truth, what is true. And that begins with understanding our own categories. So many times when I talk with Christians, we are confused about what we believe and why we believe it. And we make category errors ourselves by thinking that since we believe the Bible to be God's inspired word and truth, that everyone believes it, and all we have to do is show people in the scriptures where it says something. But if people do not accept that as reliable, then it will not be effective in bringing them to faith and to understanding. They will not have more hope because the Bible says it if they don't accept the Bible as a canon, as a way of of measuring what is true. And so, In that reality, we need to recognize that we need to be open to understanding how people think. We need to listen. And so we need to do, as Paul says, become all things to all people so that we might by all means save some. He's talking about being able to enter into a person's world, their own experience, their own categories, their own truth, and expressing to them the truth of God. So the question that uh, this all raises for you and for me is, do we do that? Or do we live in such a bubble of our own Christianity that we don't know how to talk to those who don't have the same categories that we have in terms of what is a meaningful life and and what will bring joy and wholeness uh, to their existence? This week, our pastors and our uh, West Side Initiative leaders went to a two-day seminar looking at how we reach the multi-ethnic world in which we live. Because the different ethnic groups have many different categories about what family looks like, what leaders look like, what worship looks like, uh, and how we are to, in fact, experience and express God's leadership in our, we- in our lives. And we saw that in increasing ways, the love of God compels us to get beyond our own limited understandings and our own limited categories, which often become barriers for communication and for oneness with others in the world. To truly listen and to share with others means that we must, first of all, enter into their world. That's what Jesus did. He came and for 30 years simply was a human. And then, when he reached 30 years of age, he began to teach. And he led us into a life that is far beyond the limited categories of humanity and our biological uh, limitations. That means, of course, for you and for me, going beyond our comfort zones and and entering into the lives of others and and caring for them before we ever uh, try to say something about changing uh, how they think and who they are. The fear of death is, of course, the, the central thing that all humanity must face. And either you live aware that you only have a few more years, whatever your age is, or you live aware that you have a few more years, and then. And that is a whole different hope and a whole different place. The hope of the resurrection speaks to the mind because it helps us understand that life is not despair and is not futility. The life of the heart teaches us that there's love that goes far beyond the grave as we love those who have died, and we're aware that they haven't ceased to be And that there's going to be a reunion that's going to be beyond any description as all of God's creatures come together in this wonderful place created in his great image. So I would encourage us right now in this time of prayer to stop and to think. Is there somebody in my life that he's brought to be a part of my life? A co-worker, a family, a friend that does not live in hope? And how could I look for a moment and enter into their world in such a way that I could share with them the hope that is within me and then just honestly share with them what we know to be the truth about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Let's spend time with them.